Hi, I'm Pam Line Miller. Welcome to Future Foodcast. We are excited to be here today, and I want to thank our sponsor, Farm to Plate. They are creating tomorrow's food business ecosystem today, and you can check out more about them at farmtoplate.io. Today's guest is a little bit different in the food industry than some that we've had, which we're not talking about people food. However, sometimes the, those we are feeding are like people to us. I have Aaron Merrill. He is the CEO of Plato Pet Treats. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you today. I mean, often our pets are like people to us, right? They have personality. They they just go along with our health habits and our lifestyle and they fit right into the family. At least that's been my experience. Yeah, that's how I, uh, that's how it was in my family growing up as well. They're definitely, yeah. uh, you know, they're a lot of people call them their fur babies, right? That's they're, right. And they treat them better than their own children sometimes. Oh my goodness. They really do. And that is probably what's keeping you in business. But you know, I really want to start off with it, a lot of people that are in the food industry or starting a business and have an idea for something. They they don't always know how people traditionally get started or even what to do. I think you have a really unique way that you came into being a CEO as you are now. Would you share a little bit about that with us? Sure, sure. Well, there it's a a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time. I actually grew up working at a company that would process and collect uh, protein, various proteins, poultry, beef, seafood, and we would process it and supply it uh, pretty much just in time to the major pet food companies across North America. Uh, my father ran four facilities across the country and old enough to drive, he threw me into one of the facilities as the sanitation cleanup boy. And uh, so I grew up literally from the floor. Uh, I worked my way there, you know, through high school and worked my way through all the different functions in the plant from uh, sanitation to to running the processing equipment, to driving a forklift, to, uh, you know, I got my truck driver's license as a senior project in high school uh, so that I could go out and collect the, the chicken from the local processors. And so I worked my way through and, and really learned the business from the inside. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about hard work. I learned a lot about the business. I was working in the lab, running analytical testing on protein from the, all of our facilities. And I got involved with our vendor assurance program, quality control, HACCP plans, all of those types of things. And then I got involved with dealing with uh, setting up raw material orders and dealing with all of our suppliers. So I really had kind of a an education in the entire pet food industry, dealing with the customers and, and everything. I paid my way through college working for this uh, family-owned company. And um, while I was doing that, the owners of this company had also been involved in another business. And uh, they were the pioneers of the pig ear as a dog treat. And um, they had done really well with that and sold that business. And when... Uh, when they sold it, they had a non-compete agreement for five years and that non-compete agreement expired right as I was just about to enter my last semester of my MBA at Fresno State. And um, they were talking about just in passing, hey, it'd be really cool to get back into the pet tree business. And along the way, I had gotten some exposure to uh, some things about the industry that I wasn't crazy about. And uh, I'd seen opportunity with raw material that was going underutilized 
you know, organic chicken and things that were not really on the radar of some of the big pet food companies. I'd also had some kind of personal inspiration with our family dog. We had a, a, a border collie. I think I told you this story before, but um, she was, we, you know, we live in the country, we rode horses and we'd take that dog out for runs and, and she was just real high energy. And when she was about 11, she started slowing down we started to think that, you know, she may not be with us very long. And so we decided to kind of spoil her and we bought a real high, high quality premium pet food. And within a few weeks, she was back to her normal. It was kind of a light bulb moment for me to see the impact that the nutrition had on her. And, uh, and so it, it really, you know, made me wonder what if we'd have been feeding her that way all along and the intersection of that, along with the fact that I'd seen some of the some of the things that some of the big boys had done, that uh, I thought, you know, in the pursuit of pricing efficiency, they'd they'd reduce the quality of of the raw materials they were using. That bothered me, and so when uh, when I had this opportunity to to throw an idea across the owners of the company's desk, brought those two ideas together to take what we had experience, knowledge, contacts in the, in the raw meat business, you know, to take that and leverage it and take the quality of that raw material and make a product that was uh, nutritionally superior and uh, clean ingredients, something that I would feel good feeding to my own pet. And um, so I was inspired by, you know, when, when I was in the MBA program, we read the book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And he talks about a, an idea called the hedgehog principle, which is focusing on what you can be uniquely the best at. And, and I kept thinking about the raw material, the protein that we were going to such great lengths to, to collect and to, to maintain freshness in and all of these things. And, you know, that was essentially the what the pet food companies were were using to make the product nutritious and palatable for the dog. You know, we were supplying the good stuff that went into the pet food. So why not make a product with all of that quality and nutrition? So I, I, um, I kind of stuck my nose in their business, you know, the partners and threw an idea at them. And they said, you know, they asked me to put together a business plan. And, and uh, so I was able to get a professor to help me put something together and I, uh, I, I basically came up with a concept and I, and I still keep it by my desk today, which was essentially high quality, uh, fresh meats, uh, basically simple, clean ingredient deck that would be easy to understand that you might, you know, be able to make yourself in your own kitchen and, um, and use a production process or method that would maintain that, cook all the good stuff out. And uh, so that's... Basically, what I put in front of them, I call it my Shark Tank moment, and they, <laughs> they they signed off and they they invested in in my idea and gave me uh, some seed money and gave me a location to to start this up. So, well, I, we I, will dive into like what's okay. happening now and what you found out, but let's let's kind of review a little bit because you first of all finding starting where you did literally you know cleaning up after everything that was happening and, and then going to get raw product and bringing it back and it, all of the different areas of the business that you were exposed to and you still loved it. Like you were either going to love it or not love it, but you loved it. And so that was kind of that discerning time where you're like, I, I really kind of like this. But then you also saw the other 
indicators out there that didn't really sit with your personal moral compass as far as, you know, we can do better in the nutritional area. We don't need to necessarily cut some corners that are being cut. There's another level of product that you can make available to the consumers and let the choice be theirs for what they'd like to give to their pet. But based on your personal experience, you saw the benefit of that higher level product or that higher nutritional level product and how exciting that must have been. I think it was like very serendipity situation that the founders, the timing, the fact that you were able to get a business plan together and they invested. So you had money, you had a place. I mean, most founders would love to have, those are so many hurdles that those that are trying to get into business have to overcome. And you know, those were just getting knocked down one at a time. It just all came together. So I really, from hearing you and, and talking about this, like you're you're in the place where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's right. I I, I was very lucky. And frankly, you know, the all along the way, before we even started this company, I had uh, this experience because they allowed me to come in and be a part of uh, what they were building. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really grateful to them. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a lot of people that are in business, private business, like these guys that, you know, have control where they want to mentor some of the younger generation and give them the opportunity to learn and grow and be exposed to industry. So if you're one of those people out there watching us or listening to us, think about who you might be able to reach out to and mentor like Aaron was mentored um, to, you know, you never know what you might birth out there. Some great business idea, something to make, uh, find a niche in the market to make things better for a certain product line, uh, whatever it might be. Just want to be encouraging with that. Well, so you worked your way through this whole process and you knew you wanted to do something better, but then you also figured out a way to process this raw material that people hadn't done before. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was another one that was pretty serendipitous, right? Um, yeah. So I, I didn't know a lot about different production processes, but I dove in and I knew how, I knew what I had to work with as far as, you know, investment capital. I looked into a bunch of different processes and I really just tried to go to school about, you know, what's the best way to make a product. Um, I, I looked into options like freeze drying and baking, and I ended up settling on the jerky type uh, air drying process as the best sweet spot. It was also what we could afford, believe it or not. But um, And then I was able to steal my mom's dehydrator out of the pantry and uh, start playing with stuff at the lab. Uh, at the plant. And, and that's kind of how we got our start. One of the other um, investors and partners in the business, he's been in the pet food industry basically since he was born. They, oh his family had a, a pet, they still have a pet store that's operated by his sons today, but it's been an operation in Southern California since 1946. And he was a partner in this business and he owned a pet specialty distribution company down in Orange County, California. And he was really um, instrumental in helping me figure out what we needed to target as far as our offerings, because he had the perspective of being a retailer and a distributor. And we were able to test products in his store in small scale. And that was a really neat way for us to figure out what we needed to do. Oh, get exposure to the customer in, in his, through his store. So that was like your test market. Yes. Nice. What a great idea. Like like I said, right, right place, right time. 
exactly, exactly. So many, so many uh, wish for that and see it happens out there. <laughs> uh, so you did, you borrowed your mom's dehydrator and because this is a process that, you know, home kitchens, like I still dehydrate fruit or, well, now we use, you know, air fryers and, uh, you know, some of the newer technology, newer technology that's available. It's, it's the same process. It's just more popular now because they called it something different. <laughs> so, um, but that's really what you base this on. Yeah. I believe it or not. I actually, I'm a big fan of Alton Brown's uh, show, Good Eats. And I, I studied and did my homework on how to make the best jerky. And in, in the episode about jerky, he talked about how lower temperature dehydration is actually the best to preserve the flavor and the nutrition in the meat. And so that was kind of a, a an operating principle that I wanted to, to apply to whatever we ended okay. up doing. Okay. And so the dogs are the beneficiary, you know, I don't, this has got to be just really tasty treats that you're providing. You're, you're preserving the quality. You're doing the flavoring because you're doing the lower temperature when you process them. And all of that thought is going into that. Do you eat some of this product? I have. Yeah. I, have. <laughs> I, was, I was just thinking they sound good enough. You know, most people would not eat what they were feeding their dog. However, in your case, uh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've tried not to make a habit out of it too much. So my, <laughs> you know, my, my wife will not mind my breath, but. Uh, well, you're actually trying to quantify, you know, what the benefits are of this process that are happening right now. And, and you hope to get some results so that you can actually have data to back things up. Yeah, we are very lucky once again to be working with a group of food scientists uh, on a, a study we're actually conducting, commissioning, that we're hoping to be able to publish a peer-reviewed white paper that would speak to the efficacy of air-dried products relative to the competition from a nutrition standpoint, from a palatability standpoint. And then we can also make the case about sustainability with our process relative to some of the competition. Okay, very nice. So those of you that are watching and listening, stay tuned for Play-Doh Pet Treats and what they might have coming in the future, because we are in the the fall of 2023 right now. So it depends on when you listen to this podcast. But if it's sometime after this, you might be able to find that information on their website. We're uh, we're on the uh, the last steps of that process, and we're hoping okay. to have something to share by the end of the year. Oh, great! So that's really a short term situation. Fantastic. Uh, well, what else is happening at Play-Doh Pet Treats? Or you, you have more than just Play-Doh Pet Treats, first of all. I know that's that's the brand that some of us who have dogs might recognize going into the pet, you know, to buy at the pet store, but you also have other avenues for your product. Yeah, Play-Doh is, uh, is really our brand that we started from Play the very beginning. We, we also launched another brand called Furry Republic which we're really excited about. We've got, got that name. in a few other channels. And then uh, in the last few years, we branched off into private label and contract manufacturing. And uh, we also supply protein ingredients to the pet food industry, just like- So you have several different channels where you're providing products or materials to the industry. That's great. Just spreading out kind of those multiple streams so that you can diversify with your within your expertise. It's still very- very niched in the market. It's all synergistic. 
right? I'm providing a service to my suppliers just as much as I'm a customer of theirs. And, and by uh, allowing this high quality protein, giving giving access to other pet food companies, uh, I'm helping I'm hoping to be able to elevate the level of, of quality out there in the industry and kind of raise the bar. Absolutely. I like that a lot. Now, now you're fairly domestic uh, as far as in the U.S., right, for your distribution at this point? Yeah, um, we have distribution through throughout North America right now. Okay. Uh, but we are export certified for a number of countries, EU and China and a few other uh, countries as well. Okay, nice. So export certified, you can, I don't know, for our listeners that aren't attuned to export certified, that just means you can send your products to those countries. You have to yes. get that's fairly straightforward. <laughs> I just was confirming what happens there for additional distribution. So you could say you're worldwide then. Yes. Yeah, we yes. are. Uh, yep. <laughs> That's exciting. That's very exciting. Well, what else is happening over in your neck of the woods? Anything else company-wise, product-wise? Yeah, uh, we've recently launched uh, some new items, a line extension oh. we've developed, um, which is a line of uh, food toppers with added collagen, which oh. we're really excited about. We've got uh, you know ingredients like goat milk and pumpkin and other things for different functional benefits as well as for flavor. Okay. So maybe kind of the food is medicine idea where if your pet is having a certain situation, I mean, if you more nutrition to the food they're already eating, is that the idea with the toppers? Yes. And yeah. a lot of our, we've talked to a lot of our customers. They really like the idea of uh, boosting the bowl, so to speak, you know, oh. adding a little bit more variety to their dog's base kibble. Uh, okay. Adding, and as well as getting their dog to eat when they want them to eat. Right. So at the end right. of the day, it's pretty, pretty basic, but yes. I know. Yeah. They, they can be finicky sometimes, can't they? So I'm sure they have their preferences for what's happening there. Um, well, you shared with me also, I delve into this too much earlier, other than saying, you know, you are doing what you're doing because you were just led to do that, knew you could do better, saw the better quality ingredients that you could put into your product. But you also really have kind of a philosophical view about the business that you're involved in. And I wonder if you could share that with us, kind of a cycle idea. Sure. Yeah. So a, a few years back, I was, I actually read another book called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And it was, it was challenging to me to think back about all the values and the decisions that we had made over the years and why we made some of the choices that we made. I really did a kind of a, a gut check or a heart check about why what we do matters. You know, we're at the end of the day, we're making pet food and, and, and snacks and things. And, you know, I really believe that, you know, I want to leave this world a better place for my having been here. And, you know, thinking about how what we are doing might have an impact on that was a little bit of a challenge for me to think through. And I, I had a few personal stories, uh, things that uh, we had gotten involved in as a company. We had gotten involved in a program called Shelter to Soldier, where we had helped sponsor a dog being rescued by a vet with PTSD to basically train his own therapy dog. It was an 18-month program, and it was really, really interesting to me. And through our involvement in that, I learned about a lot of other programs 
um, out there. Um, a, a friend of mine in the industry is very deeply involved in a, in a program called Tales of Valor, which is similar, but on a larger scale. And I started to see through that and uh, the Search Dog Foundation and some of these other areas in the pet food world uh, where pets were being used in ways that people hadn't imagined before to basically improve the lives of humans in our society. And it really started to uh, come clear to me that really what, what we are doing, uh, care and energy and effort we put into blessing our pets, the more they reflect that blessing back to us as a society in ways that we, we're still uncovering and discovering as a culture. Pet ownership today is very different than it was when I was growing up. You know, pets are members of your family and that we brought them into our lives in, in new ways, surprising. And we're seeing the benefits of that. And so I really started to see how our, you know, I'm, I'm basically coming up with a product that people are going to part with their hard-earned money for um, to bless their pet. They don't taste it. They don't benefit from it directly, but their pet does. And that pet is reflecting that benefit back to them. And that creates what I, what I started to kind of call the cycle of virtue. It's a positive feedback loop. The more we take care of them, the better they take care of us. We start to see new elevated expressions of that principle throughout our society. And so I really believe that it's our purpose as a company to find, explore, and elevate that cycle and make sure that we protect it and don't allow it to be violated. And so we've made a lot of choices around the ingredients that we we use, the the people that we partner with, across you know the people that we work in our own in our own team, are, uh, you know, around making sure that we are preserving and, and uh, trying to elevate that cycle. I just think that's fabulous. That's like the highlight. Not that we haven't talked about some really great things, but I, I think that's the highlight, just hearing the heart of what you're doing and the lives you've been able to touch and these other organizations that are involved with pets and the pet industry in general. I mean, the you know the saying that you wish... Uh, that people, all people treated you the way your pet does. Happy to see you. <laughs> always, always positive. And, and this is the visual of what feeds that positive loop. You know, you treat your, you're, you're treating your pet with love and care and they're paying that back to you. And then that just gives you more in your heart to expand out. So thank you for being involved in these other organizations too. It sounds like there's just a lot of ways pets, like you said, some even unknown at this point, uh, can possibly affect us and our lives yes. and, and how we're experiencing uh, the challenges that we're going through. And so that's really an uplifting, an uplifting way to look at it. Thanks for sharing that so much. Wow. I'm, That's I'm, uh, uh, on one more point on that. I'm, yeah, I just was, uh, nominated to join a board for the world pet association, uh, advocacy, uh, committee. And, uh, so I'm going to be a part of a kind of a, a group of people that are working to find ways to continue to advocate for, uh, pet ownership and the human animal bond and, and those types of expressions across the industry. And I'm excited about that. Well, yeah, and you should be, you know, I think there are a lot more pet owners uh, after the pandemic, a lot of people needed support. They reached out to pets. I mean, uh, I understand you probably know some of the numbers, but pet ownership, at least here in the, in the North America has definitely gone up. There are just a lot more people that have brought a pet into their home as a definitely. result of having that challenge. Yeah, yeah we saw that. Yeah. 
So that's all that's all good for business as well. But again, that's all a byproduct of, of your real purpose. And that's kind of exciting. You know, you're just really elevating the industry. I appreciate you so authentically sharing with us this afternoon about, you know, even how you got into business and all that you're doing and, and as well as this cycle of virtue. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to leave with our audience before you go? You asked me that a little earlier and cycle of virtue doesn't just apply to pets. It applies to all of our interactions with each other. And I, I would say that my challenge is to look for that in, in every area of your life and uh, in every area of your interaction with other people. And I think that's a, that's a good, a good principle to, to. Yeah. Thank you so much for leaving us with that. We appreciate all that you've shared with us today on the podcast. And I want to say to our viewers and listeners, if you enjoyed this interview with Aaron, please like it, share our podcast, uh, follow us so that you're notified of our new podcast interviews that come out. And until next time, I'm Pam Line Miller.